Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the following on podcast from Talk Sport with me, John Norman. The World Cup just about to get underway and for the first time in a generation, everyone's expecting England to do really well. To do that, they will be led from the front by a man who gave England an injury scare last week, but who has declared himself and everyone else in the side as fully fit and raring to go. Owen Morgan. The first game of any World Cup or first day of an Ashes series always feels different and that's natural for it to feel different because it, it will, accepting that and finding a way of dealing with it on the day um, is, is a challenge within itself but one that we're extremely looking forward to. Um, so in anticipation of that, we just can't wait for tomorrow to come. Between England and a winning start to the tournament is Faf de Plessis, who is delighting in the fact that nobody is talking about South Africa winning. My most enjoyable times playing cricket is when I do captain, captain any cricket team, um, and especially this one. So I'm just... Uh, Excited that it's another opportunity for me to go and do that. Um, you know, get my brain nice and active on the field uh, and tactically thinking about the game all the time. I just feel that that, that puts me in the space that I want to be. More from Faf and Owen Morgan, plus the return of a couple of old friends. So stay tuned, and if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe through your favourite podcast app and stay up to date with all the weekly cricket news. You're listening to Following On. Well, here we are again at the Oval. Myself, John Norman, not with Gareth Batty this time. He's playing his third championship game in three weeks and a loving life. Uh, but I am joined by a familiar voice, um, someone who was very much part of, an integral part of, what we achieved in Sri Lanka and West Indies. A little chillier today, but 23 degrees expected for the first day of the World Cup, which gets underway in less than 24 hours from now. England against South Africa. And who better, really, to preview that and all the other teams in this upcoming World Cup than uh, me old mucker Neil Manthorpe who's back in Blighty uh, looking a little bit chilly but uh, good to go ahead of what must be what your seventh eighth World Cup yeah eighth um, eighth time for me for since uh, 1992 and really excited um, the f- I was actually chatted to Jacques Callis yesterday and uh, he was uh, quite rueful about the fact that he never got the chance to experience what it was like to play in a World Cup and remember he played in five 
and he never got the chance to play in one in which South Africa weren't ranked amongst the favourites. So he, and he, he said, you know what, we didn't always face up to it. We weren't always honest about it at the time to ourselves. But in hindsight, in retrospect, being amongst the favourites definitely affected all of us. Not always negatively, sometimes negatively, but sometimes positively. And he's, he's quite envious of Faf Du Plessis and this South African team because they don't have the spotlight shining brightly on them. Well, everything's relative because we've just come from the press conference, haven't we? And, you know, if the focus isn't on South Africa, we could be fooling me to some extent because that was a rammed room. Cameras all over the place. There wasn't a seat in the house. The World Cup suddenly feels like it's very close. I know what you mean. We're not talking about South Africa as pre-tournament favourites. But Owen Morgan, on the other hand, was asked about being a pre-tournament favourite. And he seems to be running with it, you know. I'm not sure South Africa ever ran with it. Yeah, I know what you mean, um, but I'll never forget Hansi Cronier's attempts. And 20 years ago, South Africa were as strong a favourite as England are now. If you remember, they had achieved an unprecedented win-loss ratio in the two years preceding the tournament. They were ranked number one by a mile. They'd, they'd won 80% of their games under Cronier and Bob Woolmer. And... Cronier's first couple of attempts to shrug off the favourites tag were looked and sounded ridiculous. Um, and he, he very soon acquiesced and said, I know, I understand why you're calling us that, and so I won't argue against it. Um, and, and Morgan, I think, is all, I mean, he's in, in a similar situation. Can you imagine if he said, oh, no, 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 we're not favourites? I mean, it would be re- absurd. It would be ridiculous. And so his tactic, I think, has been to say, uh, yeah, OK, um, yeah, we're favourites, but uh, every team here can win and, and, you know, there's not much between the teams. And So he's trying to obfuscate slightly away from favouritism, but that's understandable. I think it's a natural kind of instinct. I mean, the media, would, we'd all have a field day, wouldn't we, with the headlines if a captain said, we are absolutely favourites. It's only heavyweight boxers who do that. Absolutely, and we don't want to go down that, uh, that, that path. It does get very boring very quickly, listening to a lot of uh, boxing interviews before the actual main event. But let's, let's hear from Owen Morgan, actually. We just speak about him, and you, you mentioned how he's reacted or deflected that, that kind of questioning. I've been quite impressed by how he's gone about things uh, on the field and off. That is absolutely his team out there. They all know what they're supposed to be doing. They all back their captain and they know they got backing from the captain. Let's hear what he had to say less than 24 hours before that first match here at the Oval between England and South Africa. It's a strong attack. Um, they've coped with Dale Steyn and previous you know, um, series for about a year and a half, I think. And they, they did a good job of that. The last time they played us at home, uh, Dale Steyn wasn't here. So uh, they, have, they have cover. Um, probably definitely not as a reputable a name as Dale Stane, um, but they, they certainly have cover. There's a lot of belief within the room. Um, we're very confident within our own game. And I think ahead of tomorrow, you know, the first game of any World Cup or first day of an Ashes series always feels different. And that's natural for it to feel different because it, it will, accepting that and finding a way of dealing with it on the day. Is, is a challenge within itself, but one that we're extremely looking forward to. Um, so in anticipation of that, we just can't wait for tomorrow to come. The level of expectation and favourite tags is there for a reason. Over the last two years, our form at home in particular has been outstanding, and that's the reason it's there. And to follow up your point, a lot of the World Cups that certainly I've played in and a couple of guys in the change room have played in, we've gone in with very little expectation. 
um, and not done that well. And I'd pick this position over any other. Owen Morgan, the captain, speaking there at the Oval. Um, you know, South Africa, I suppose, going into finals, you as the opposition, we kind of were always waiting for them to kind of fall flat on their face. Boy, did they find all new manner ways of doing it over the years. But they also had to come up against the greatest Australian side in history. They also had to come up against the remnants of the greatest West Indian side in history. England don't have to come up against that. That's true. Um, what England have to come up against is uh, the pressure of playing here um, and being favourites on home soil, as South Africa experienced in 2003. That absolutely undermined them. People may recall the Duckworth-Lewis cock-up that saw them ejected at the group stages in 2003. But what really undermined them was, was the weight of expectation and the practical number of events and functions that they had to to go to um, they were exhausted and you know they were told about the importance of signing autographs and and embracing the home crowd and it really got on top of them and I, I it'll be interesting to see w whether England are able to cope with that because they, they won't be able to manage themselves they, that's that's not their job it's not their responsibility and I think it's it's really really important that they are not closeted and locked away um, because, you know, that, that creates an artificial environment in which teams generally stumble. But I really do think they need to be managed. Faf de Blessis, um, I think Owen Morgan is an impressive individual. Same could be said for Faf, much more experienced captain. Um, but like Owen Morgan, he's played all around the world in many different tournaments under varying different amounts of pressure. And both England and South Africa look back to that World Cup in 2015 with very different eyes I suppose for England it was a chance to start again for South Africa it was probably um, their last chance for that great side to take home what is in South Africa the most important prize of them all I, I imagine a World Cup Faf's back though and as uh, he walked into the press conference today an unnamed cricket journalist turned to me said boy he's a handsome fella and he's absolutely right let's have a little listen to Faf de Blessis. we did expect it when we picked the squad, um, he wasn't quite, probably about 60% when, when the squad was picked. Um, so we anticipated for this to happen. Um, but yeah, Dalstein, for Dalstein, Mike's our bowling attack a very, very strong one. So tomorrow will be um, a little bit of chopping and changing to make sure we get a balance that we think can take on England. Stein, Rabada, uh, Ngidi um, is a real, real threat in English conditions. Um, so that changes, and as I said to you guys before, that's plan A for the World Cup in terms of our balance, um, what, we, what we're looking to achieve. Now it's just a little re, a real reshuffle um, and looking to plan B and C. My most enjoyable times playing cricket is when I do captain, captain any cricket team, um, and especially this one. So I'm just uh, excited that it's another opportunity for me to go and do that. Um, you know, get my brain nice and active on the field, um, tactically thinking about the game all the time. I just feel that that, that puts me in the space that I want to be. South Africa aren't going to win the World Cup, are they? Uh, no, absolutely not. By the way, it wasn't me that said he was handsome. Um, you know what? They could. And, and Owen Morgan's right when he says that six or seven or even eight teams could possibly win it. I don't give Sri Lanka and Afghanistan much of a chance, nor Bangladesh. So, so the, you know, but there are seven teams who could could conceivably win it. I love the fact that what Fafdu Pussi has done, A, because it comes naturally to him, and B, it comes naturally to him now that he's in his 30s and a, and a father, and as he said, you know, he has a sense of perspective. 
but also because he saw the damage that was created to his friend Graham Smith in 2011 and his great friend, his best man, A.B. de Villiers, four years ago in 2015. So the problem was that the team, the players, never confronted the possibility of not winning the World Cup. They, it was like a dark, scary cave that they were going to be thrown into if they didn't come back with the World Cup. And what Fuff has done is he's told all the players, he said, you know what, it is a dark cave uh, to a, an extent, but there's nothing in there that will kill you. And we may end up in the dark cave. We may. So let's face up to that because we have no right to expect to win. There's other teams here. I mean, New Zealand got to the final last time. New Zealand are always in the semi-finals. Why haven't they won it? Um, maybe it's their turn. And, and so I really think that it will make a difference certainly in the first half of the tournament which is which is easy to play without fear and and without fear of consequence and failure but i really do you know if i mean if faf said he's extremely charismatic and influential over the senior players and the junior players actually but when when he says you know what we've we've faced it we've looked our enemy in the eye and the problem with south africa is that the enemy has not been on the field at previous world cups the enemy has been that fear of failure and so faf has said know your enemy it's okay if we don't win we're still going to get on the airplane and go home and the sun will still come up and we'll get over it well they know the enemy in this part of the world and it doesn't come from south africa it definitely comes from australia David Warner, Steve Smith, going to both be playing in this World Cup. And Jarrah Kimber has been running his eye over Australia's chances of putting all of England in a dark cave and winning the World Cup. The weird thing is, Australia could win the World Cup. And I say weird because at one stage they won about four of 24 games. I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure how many they won out of how many they lost. Just because it was so many, there's a certain point where you just stop counting and just sort of start pointing and going, ha-ha. Um, but they can win the World Cup, A, because they're Australia and they've won almost half the World Cups that have ever been played. But they also have a phenomenal bowling attack in Mitchell Stark, Pat Cummins, uh, Jason Berendorf, who no one's even heard of because he's injured more than he's, well... He's, he's actually injured more than he walks, I think, at this stage. Um, and there's also Nathan Coulter-Nile. Plus, there's, there's a few bouncemen like Maxwell and Warner and lesser-known players as well, like Finch and Carey. There's a lot of talent in this side, but it's not quite a fully functioning team. A lot of teams around the world have gone off and uh, really prepared for this World Cup. Australia, you know, they're just, uh, they've rented their tuxedo at the last minute. They're a chance of winning because they're Australia and they have talent, but they really shouldn't win. You know, in the really dark times in Sri Lanka and West Indies, I turned to you, Manners, for, you know, support. You know, you steered me through choppy waters at times. Tell me Australia aren't going to win the World Cup and we're not going to watch David Warner and Steve Smith parading around the Lord's outfield in July, holding the trophy aloft and doing a Shane Warne dance on the balcony. Oh, John, John, John. I, I, I will need to be the one guided through dark times if, uh, if that happens. And I, I don't mean to be uncharitable, but you know what? what? Whatever difficulties Sri Lanka and Pakistan cricket goes through, whatever dark times, whatever bad losses, at least they can say we won the World Cup. Um, and South Africa and England haven't. They haven't won the World Cup. Um, 
Yeah, but I mean, I, I fear that Australia have uh, come right at, at just the right time. Extraordinary turnaround in results, hasn't it? I mean, they who did they lose? Twenty out of twenty-four, and now they've lost uh, won the last ten. I mean, including coming from two 0 down in India to beat India, it, it's not worth thinking about. Who hates Australia more, English cricket fans or, or South Africans? Hates a strong word, but I'd say it's a dead heat. I agree. I think in some ways South Africa dislike Australia a little bit more than England because there's almost a envy from English. Maybe there is from South African as well to Australian. In the nation itself and the sunny skies and the, it just seems so easy to live there at times and their, their teams won so comfortably for so many years in England. But the, the rivalry between South Africa and Australia isn't quite the same, is it? I don't know if you can put it into words a little bit better than I have. Do you know, South Africa really, really suffered at, in cricketing sense. Let's stick to that, otherwise we'll get into broader psychological um, humanitarian terms. But in cricketing terms, South Africa lost for a decade and a half and they were absolutely and utterly under the thumb of Australia, you know, McGrath, War, Warren, Hayden, all of them, all the greats, that great team, and they lost, and they lost, and they lost um, test matches, one day as every game that mattered. 2007 World Cup semi-final, that was the biggest choke of all. Semi-final in St Lucia, and South Africa thought they had to do something superhuman. Fuff Duplessis spent a lot of time talking about it in the weeks building up to this tournament. So what, they, what did they do? They batted first and we saw Jacques Callis charging down the wicket to Glenn McGrath trying to smash him over the top in the first over. Everybody went out and tried to play like Superman because that's what they felt they had to do. Callis had spent his whole career up to that point losing to Australia. And suddenly South Africa were 27 for 5 and the game was over. It was all turned around 18 months later when Graham Smith became the first South African captain to win a test series in Australia in a century of trying. The first South African captain ever. And it's been turned full circle now, absolutely full circle. And it's South Africa, of course, who just won their first test series since readmission against Australia in South Africa. So, so there is now the bogeyman has been taken care of. And uh, so now when South African teams walk onto a field, to play against Australia, they do feel that it is 11 men against 11, whereas they thought it was 20 against 11 for a decade. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus of the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. It's not all about the Aussies and the Saffers and the English, though, of course. And uh, Manners uh, knows West Indies and uh, Sri Lankan cricket as, as much as anybody, having just spent four months in that part of the world. Let's hear his uh, previews for both of those sides. West Indies have chosen their strongest squad for the first time in over a decade, and that alone has pushed them from no-hopers to genuine contenders. But it depends on how they use their brilliant but ageing T20 specialists. Chris Gale and Andre Russell will need to be managed, with young captain Jason Holder and his lesser-known lieutenants doing much of the heavy lifting with bat and ball in the middle overs. Nine games over five weeks will be a longer haul for the men from the Caribbean than for most other teams. But if they do prevail and reach the semi-finals, no sane man or woman would bet against them. There's no obvious weak link, except, perhaps, the lack of a match-winning spinner. Every other team has at least one. If the summer is actually dry and hot, that could count against them. There's a lot to like about Sri Lanka, but the stark truth is that they could easily finish 10th. Yes, behind Afghanistan. For all the experience and proven records of Lasit Malinga and Angelo Matthews, there's just too much flakiness in the top and middle order of the batting and far too many bits and pieces spinners who can bat a bit. Captain Dimuth Karunaratna, Jeevan Mendes and Kushal Pereira are bound to produce eyebrow-raising batting displays at one point or another. But the team record has been poor for the last couple of years because of a consistent lack of consistency, and that's hardly likely to change during the course of the most testing format of the World Cup. You know, watching the West Indies in the West Indies, and at times you thought, hang on a second, there's a team here. Uh, Then they go to Ireland and they lose to Bangladesh three times. Uh, Then they knock off 400 against New Zealand. They're not, it's not Pakistan, is it? The ones you can't fathom. It's West Indies. I mean, I can't work out what they're going to do. On, on one day, I think they're going to be in the top four and they could beat anyone. And the next day, I think they'll be lucky to finish in the top four because they don't have the consistency. What about you? I think they'll struggle to get to the top four, but boy, oh boy, um, you don't look away if they do. Um, I, you know, it was it was cold and windy and unpleasant and unfamiliar in Ireland, and and they got outplayed by Bangladesh. I'm not sure they were giving it 100. percent We can say that because, you know, South Africa has traditionally had a mentality that you give it 100 percent every single game. Every time you pull the jersey on, you give it 100 percent. Every game is important. It's nonsense. It doesn't work like like that. And frankly, I think that West Indies in a triangular with Bangladesh and Ireland didn't press the go button for many of them um, as, as for the 420 against New Zealand it's a warm-up game you know it's like playing roulette with monopoly money you can you can you can keep going black or red or put all your chips on number 15 and if it comes up then you make 420 you don't play like that when 
there's real money at stake and there's real World Cup points at stake. So I really do think that although the World Cup warm-up games are interesting and I've found them interesting every time they've been played, I do find it even more interesting to see those who attempt to attach real meaning to them because there isn't any. Give me a persuasive argument why Sri Lanka won't finish in the bottom two. I can't. Okay, moving on. <laughs> you know what? Bank, uh, Sri Lanka made their debut in the World Cup. Actually, it was their debut in international cricket in 1975. In 1996, they won the tournament. Afghanistan made their debut in 2015. Can you see Afghanistan winning the World Cup on Asian soil in the next 20 years? Oh, wee. Um, yes. And I'll t- I tell you why. Um, there's... There's so many reasons why they they can't, they can't do it. They they they're years and years away from having a sustainable domestic league and a d- domestic competition. They of course can't have international tours at home, so their exposure to international cricket will always be limited. But the reason I say yes is because if you'd asked me 10 years ago when they were playing against Jersey and Guernsey and the Faroe Islands, um, I'm not sure if they really played against the Faroe Islands, but, you know, they were playing against Denmark and Germany. If you'd asked me whether I could see them in a World Cup, <laughs> I would have said, no, of course not. But I, I like to believe in fairy tales. I mean, they've, this is the greatest sporting fairy tale story that I'm aware of as in a team context, in any sport. I cannot, and I've, and I've looked, and I've asked people who cover other sports whether they know of whether they, there's a story to compare so I just think who am I to say that they won't complete this fairy tale story and actually win it let's hear Jared Kimber's take on Afghanistan and also Bangladesh can Afghanistan actually win this World Cup I mean, probably not, let's be honest. Uh, They are an interesting team. They may have, no, I'm gonna scratch that, scratch that. They completely have the best spin bowling attack in world cricket. They might have close to one of the best spin bowling uh, lineups that any team has ever had in limited overs cricket. There's a couple of players they haven't even brought to this tournament that would probably, well, would certainly be Australia's first two spinners and would probably be better than Moeen Ali and Adol Rashid. And that's not saying that they're not good. It's just saying how much talent Afghanistan have for spin. And realistically, their chances of winning games at this tournament is going to come down to spin. They could play four frontline spinners. And realistically, they should probably play four frontline spinners. They've got Hamid Hassan, their old seamer, who's kept together by duct tape, and the brilliantly named Dolat Zadran for a tall, upright seamer. But realistically, their entire team, and I include their batsmen here, are really spinners, and they're brilliant. And Rashid Khan might be the best player in one-day cricket. When you look at his record of recent times, he's even better when he plays the best one-day teams. He's a phenomenal talent, and it's not just him and 10 other blokes. There's a few other talented players there. You never know. Afghanistan could win maybe two or three big upset games and you know probably once they've won one or two of them they won't be seen as upsets anymore can bangladesh win the world cup uh probably not no um, they've probably they've never been better as an international cricket team they're very well drilled they're a very interesting one day team and that they're one of the most frugal teams even outside of bangladesh teams really struggle to score against them but they don't take a lot of wickets 
and their batsmen are probably very good rather than any great players. The only player who maybe could be exciting is Sumi Asaka, who, when he gets going, is almost untouchable, but he very rarely gets going. Shakib Alassan is well, about 73 years old. Tamir Mikbal is still a great talent, but he's not the most dynamic one-day player. He's not the most uh, high-scoring player. And with their bowlers, there's some talent there as well. There's no doubt that you know they've still got the fizz, Mustafiza Rahman, uh, Rubel Hassan, Sabah Rahman. There's talent in all their bowlers, but again, again, they probably just don't have one great bowler or one wicket-taking bowler. And their captain is maybe their captain might be one of the most respectable figures um, in, in one-day cricket now. Uh, Mashrafi Mortaza, there's almost nothing left of his knees. It's almost unfair to call them knees at this stage, that they're falling apart so much. And he's a bit of a warrior, and he'll limp in and bowl his overs. But realistically, they should win some games, but I cannot see how they could even get close to winning this tournament. Bangladesh, another team that have come in under the radar. Um, you know, they don't have out-and-out pace, do they? But they do have... A real team in there, a collection of individuals that have played alongside each other for a long, long time now. I'm thinking of Raheem and Iqbal and Shakib and, you know, they're led by a guy they all believe in, Mortaza. You know, we talk about Afghanistan springing surprises in this World Cup. I reckon Bangladesh are probably coming into this in the same way South Africa are, under the radar, and they're hoping to capitalise on that. Experience. I... I might be wrong, but I don't think I am. I think they're the most experienced team in the competition in terms of World Cup caps. Five of them are playing in their fourth World Cup. Um, They know each other really well. I think they've been terrifically coached, actually, by Steve Rhodes. And and Neil McKenzie's uh, done wonders for for their batting. And and that's that's not me surmising that. That's the, the batsmen have said what a big difference he's made. So they've got really sharp game plans. Um... They're, they're, they're not trying to overextend themselves. They're going to play to their strengths, try and make the opposition come to them. I, I definitely see them winning a couple of games. But, um, you know, if it was, a, if it was a, a, a shorter group stage, you might say they uh, would have a, a chance of sneaking into the Super 6 and then anything can happen. But you need to win five games. If my math's right, you need to win a minimum of five out of nine games to get to the semi-finals. And I just think that might be beyond them. And we finish with India. The big guns, and they do have some big guns, didn't they? A final hurrah for MS Dhoni. Uh, Virat Kohli leading the side. The first time in history their best batsman's been a captain at a World Cup, I think. Um, but just a feeling that they don't quite have the strength and depth and maybe not the batting in these conditions to take them all the way, or is it always a foolish thing to write off India when it comes to the World Cup? Because there is no bigger prize in cricket in India than the World Cup and they won it of course in 2011 I don't know why but I just see them um, having a, a couple of areas in which they can stumble you know I, I, I think that that Shikadawan and Bright Sharma are a brilliant opening pair but I do think that they have a tendency to be 12 for 2 um, you know a little bit too often and, and I do see them you know the 40 for 4 syndrome uh, yeah top order is brilliant uh, and on a flat pitch um, then they're going to be devastating, aren't they? They're going to make 350 for fun. They're going to make 350 batting badly. Um, and, and so if things go according to, to plan and we do get really flat batsman-friendly wickets, I think they've got an excellent uh, bowling attack. Jasper 
Bumrah is brilliant. If we have a hot, dry summer, which everyone keeps telling me, I can't imagine it at the moment, sitting here shivering before the first game. But if we do have a hot, dry summer and pitches start to dry up, they've got two fabulous strike bowling wrist spinners. Um, so, I mean, you, you, you just have to say they've got to make the semi-finals. I mean, they're second favourites. But of, of, of my top four or five, for some reason, I just can see India stumbling a couple of times. Brilliant stuff, Manners. Uh, it's going to be part of TalkSport and TalkSport 2's coverage of the World Cup. But before you go, let's have a listen to an interview that Gareth Batty did last week. Surrey versus Kent and then uh, at Beckenham. And Bats took the opportunity to uh, reminisce with the great Alan Donald. Well, AD, wow. What a brilliant thing you're doing for us by coming on, following on. Um, if it's OK with you, it's World Cup fever going on in TalkSport Towers at the minute. Is there any chance you could take us back to 1992? It had been 20-odd years at South Africa. We'd been starved of these brilliant cricketers. Um, how did it feel for you guys as cricketers, but also as a country? Well, look, um, in 91, Dr. Bacher came to, uh, to London for an uh, ICC meeting. And uh, just before that, I met, I met with um, Robin Smith and uh, both Smith brothers, actually, and, uh, and, and Alan Lamb. And they persuaded me. They said, listen, we want you to consider to play for England. Um, I mentioned this to Dr. Bach and he said, listen, next year, next year, we'll be playing in the Cricket World Cup for South Africa. I promise you now. And it did happen. I think once the selection was one thing, it was a proud moment. I think... The vision for that World Cup was pretty much, we went there with almost nothing to lose because it came so quickly. Um, I think Kepler Vessel summed it up really well, uh, captain of that World Cup for us. And he just said, look, let's, let's sort of break the, the World Cup into little parts. And if we get into a position where we're gonna compete or in the quarterfinals or the semifinals, then we'll talk again. Um, but it was a massive moment, you know, for, for us representing South Africa after isolation uh, was a was a massive deal. Um, it brought people together very quickly. Um, it was an experience that I'll never forget. And um, and just to have had the opportunity um, to play in a semi final against England at the SCG was was even more of a humbling experience. So and a great and it was a hell of a side as well. Uh, the England team to be playing that semi final. Uh, the way it turned out. Um, you know, it was it was one of those things that uh, I suppose will will haunt South African cricket for for a long time. It was our own fault, really. Bowled too many whites, bowled too many no balls, and it cost us five overs. Yeah. But it was Duckworth and Lewis that was an absolute Correct. shocker. And actually, the, the game of cricket didn't need that because you guys were a wonderful team yourselves. I know you've said England were, but wow. You know, everything that went on that World Cup, that jaunty knocking the stumps down, yeah. you with the, with the paint on your face, boy, absolute <laughs> rockets. It was amazing for cricket. It was, yeah. And, 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 and quickly, guys became real icons. And, and, and you know, jaunty, that dive got Jonty Rhodes more deals than he would ever ever have got in his life and um, still probably um, does that sort of thing and um, but um, but for us you know we, we took a lot of lessons out of that hard lessons because it, it made us think more about the the how, how we're going to plot our way forward the experience to be to have played in the World Cup my very very first World Cup which I didn't honestly think I will achieve in my lifetime um, was a was an amazing thing 
for a man who's taken over 600 international wickets, well into the 1,200 first-class wickets, I've got to ask you the question from a rubbish little fat off-spinner. What's it like <laughs> to be the fastest man on the planet? It's a great position to be in when, you, when you're in that. It, it almost feels, you know, when everything clicks together, it's a, it's a sort of a, an out-of-body experience, an invincibility that you can think you can almost do whatever you like when it's flowing and you're bowling at 150 and everything is just smashing into the keeper's gloves or you're, or you're smashing someone up. But, uh, but yeah, it, look, it's a, it's, a, it's a great feeling and, and, and it's, a, it's a great feeling of, of control, uh, the pace that you have, uh, the effortless way it comes out um, the, and manner that you can change a game quickly um, in, and especially in a test match um, which was probably my, my favorite part of the game uh, I love test cricket and the and the, the sort of uh, 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 mystery of test cricket how you plot your way through a test match so look it was a, a wonderful run I'm, I'm very proud of what I've done um, and achieved in the game in, in, in you know if my career started at 18 it probably would have been a lot more wickets but um, I had no regrets. It was one. It was hell of a fun when it lasted. Still in the game. We're very fortunate in England to have you still in the game at Kent. Um, assistant coach, I believe, and obviously helping uh, the fast bowlers. But um, Kent have had a brilliant rise uh, last year. A wonderful season. Um, and how, how are things sort of with yourself now and, and how you fit with coaching? How is it? Do you, do you sit up here and think, oh, I wish I could get the ball and... Rattle, rattle somebody <laughs> around the ears or are you a bit more uh, chilled nowadays? There, there, there are moments that, that I feel I wish I was out there and, can, and, and could make a difference but to, coaching is a lot more different you know I've, I've had a front row seat in a few dressing rooms in nine years that, that has opened my eyes about coaching and spent my time around unbelievable players especially in the IPL you know it's not every day you get to, to, to sit down in a dressing room you look around and you see Chris Gale Virat Kohli Avi de Villiers Shane Watson Wow. Well, from an English fan, from an English badger who loves his cricket, long may it continue that, that you're involved in the game. The one thing that isn't going anywhere, my friend, White Lightning is your tag forever. Thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Thanks very much. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Cheers, pal. You know, I didn't know that Alan Donald was being tapped up by England. When you think of the most South African of all South Africans, he's up there, isn't he? And what a legend as well. And a nice guy. I tell you what, man, so much of the World Cup is... When it comes to South Africa, it's the what-if moments. As someone who's followed South Africa in every single World Cup campaign since readmittance, give us a couple of the, the golden memories that you have of watching South Africa in action at a World Cup, if there are any. There might not be. <laughs> <laughs> there have been some up upsides, but um, I've been so used to talking you and everybody else through the, the seven exits <laughs> that I'm more schooled in doing that. You've caught me by surprise. There have been some, some lovely moments, haven't there? I mean, Gary Kirsten's 188 against the UAE uh, was a big moment uh, for all of us and the 96 World Cup. Um, Lance Clusen's performance, he was man of the tournament in 99. Um, he produced a, a level of hitting and, and all-round cricket that none of us had ever seen, even from him, and I don't think many people in the world had seen before. Um, not Not... Too many great highlights in 2003. Um, 2007 for me is always just kind of stained by the the, the approach in the semi-final against Australia. But we had AB de Villiers' first one-day 100 in St Lucia against the West Indies, made a brilliant 150. Um, and and so yeah, there, there's been some there's been some 
there's been some great moments, but it's against a- the UAE, that's your top moment. Okay. What, what about Brian Lara smashing you guys for a century in the first match of the South African World Cup? Oh no, that's a bad one as well, isn't it? I thought you said happy memories for South Africa. <laughs> there aren't any. Well, maybe we're about to see some. And you know what? I've got some good news for you. 23 degrees tomorrow. Oh, brilliant! I'll be able to take my emergency life-saving winter jacket off. Manners, it is always a pleasure. Um, Manners will be back hosting this uh, very show at times and reporting on TalkSport and TalkSport 2 uh, throughout the tournament. That's pretty much all we've got time for today. But following on, will be broadcast at five times a week throughout the World Cup so make sure you join us after every England game every India game and uh, plenty in between as well you're listening to Following On to never miss an episode be sure to subscribe either on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app see you after the England game Hold that please level 5 thank you Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparcel Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus of the Biparcel Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.